I was in um like a zero waste shop the other day and they were playing Bodies by Car Seat Headrest and I was like, this is it. This is the peak of my hipster life. Were they playing the original or the face-to-face version? Oh, though? I don't know. I think it's the original. What, the like super lo-fi one? Yeah, I think. It's the one I'm familiar with, which is, I think, that. Wow, that is hipster. I know. You can make some interesting ASMR in that place, just like various jars of rice being filled up, lentils, chickpeas. That's a tangent, but I agree. Here's the ASMR track of me of me opening all of all of the <laughs> nut th- dispensers <laughs> and letting them spill onto the floor. Welcome to Unmuted Unmastered. I'm Will, and this week I'm joined by Jess. Hello. Tom. Hello. And James. Hello. On the show this week, we're going to be talking about the best merch fans should have on their merch tables at gigs. We've got the upcoming releases you need to know about, and we're going to run through some of the news of the week. But first, I want to know what everyone's been listening to. I want to start with Jess. This week, I've been listening to Lands of Delight by Alan Moore. This is an experimental album, essentially, from 2019. Um, it's very hard to pin down a genre other than just experimental. It's basically just like 37 minutes of instrumental songs that kind of feel like a soundtrack to a film that doesn't exist. Um, it's got a mix of like synth elements and electronic elements. Then it's also got harps and um, pianos, choirs. Electric guitars, acoustic guitars, different like drumming, percussion from throughout the world, uh, nature samples, a bit of everything. Sometimes it kind of sounds like it's, like I said, like a blockbuster film soundtrack, um, although maybe more like on the arty side of things, I suppose. And other times it's completely like out there and just unstructured. And some of this might remind you of an album I talked about a few weeks ago, um, particularly electronic music, tar and setar. It's got some like thematic similarities, I'd say, and like sometimes a few similar instruments or like the way they mix together is kind of reminiscent. And I think if you like one, or if you're in the mood for listening to one, you will probably like the other. Um, but in other ways, they're very different because that one was very minimal and bare, whereas this is the opposite. This is like very fleshed out. Uh, so many layers of sounds all the time, and conventionally, like you wouldn't necessarily hear these sounds together. But um, I think it works really well here because it doesn't. Um, the reason it works is because it sounds so like balanced and everything has been given space to breathe, so it doesn't sound like crowded or messy at all. Um, and the other reason it doesn't feel too overwhelming is because the variety and heaviness like goes from kind of a one to a ten throughout the whole album, rather than just like individual songs or like through, rather than just within one song. Um, it kind of feels like. Ever since the first track, it, it's building, um, yeah, going into kind of quieter bits, and then getting louder and getting more busy as it goes on, and then this peaks at the fifth track, which is called Flame Devourer. Sounds about right. <laughs> Brilliant. Flame Devourer. That's perfect. <laughs> om nom nom nom. Is it a Pokemon then or something? Um. Well, 
on a, on video game notes, there's a section in this um, song that, like, without exaggerating at all, sounds like it's off the Doom soundtrack. Nice. Um, it's on the same sort of heaviness, like intensity level as like BFG Division. Kind of sounds similar in terms of instruments as well. Um, but that's a plus from me. I mean, when that when that hit, I just, I kind of mentally looked up from what I was focusing on and sort of went, oh, this is this is quite cool actually. I'm enjoying this. Um, and then even the following like songs after that, there's two more songs after that. They still manage to keep things uh, going, keep it interesting, and like hold their own, even though this you know, even they've had this big moment, this big crescendo. So an overall, I guess I wouldn't call it like a catchy listen, but um, it does kind of pull you along, like at points it'll get your foot tapping and it, yeah, it does have this like momentum to it and then it slows down at other points. Um, because of the slow kind of nature of some of it, it's probably um, one that does take a bit of like getting invested into. But I personally think it's definitely worth like sitting down, spending the time to actually get into this, and just treat it as you would kind of a long artsy film, I guess. Even though it's only thirty-seven minutes, so actually not too bad. So yeah, that's my my recommendation for today is Alan Moore's Lands of Delight. Right then, Tom, I'm going to throw to you next. I think this one might cause a bit of discussion. Um, Lego White Noise by Lego. Let me give you some uh, words, and I want to see how you react. Uh, three hours, 29 minutes long, uh, seven tracks, um, <laughs> what? ASMR of all the different noises that Lego makes. Uh, this is one of the weirdest things I've listened to in a long time, and I'm kind of in love. Uh, yeah, the sound of rustling pieces, of turning pages in the instruction manual, of clicking bricks together of connecting collecting them it's surprisingly calm it's occasionally irritating the visuals um for the album on spotify at least are stunning um yeah this is a weird one lego has out of nowhere decided to make an album and it's basically this this three and a half hour mindful asmr experience um it's very peculiar but it's also very very wholesome and it feels very cozy and actually it's surprisingly good you know um probably the best way to do it is just to go through like the sounds every track uh, of the seven have got a very distinct sound to them that means some of them are very irritating some of them are very very good each track is about half an hour long and it's basically just like a non-repeating um sequence of the same sound basically so built for two is basically someone just flicking through uh, a Lego manual and putting various pieces together. You've no idea what's being made. No one talks. No one does anything. It's just the sound of bricks being made. Um, and you will be shocked how nice it is just to have in the background in a slightly darker evening. We are in awesome now. Okay, it's going to get darker. I kind of just like having it there. It feels very cozy for some weird reason. Um, the other ones that I like, I'll go for good tracks and bad tracks. Four good tracks, three uh, bad tracks. Built for two is the first track. Really, really nice. Again, just clicking bits together, going through an instruction manual, making a little set. You can imagine it. You can picture it in your mind. Uh, searching for the one brick is the same thing, but it's just the rustling. It is literally... You, I'm already seeing smiles because you know exactly what it means. It's that one piece that you can never find. and You've got to search through the entire lot ten times to find the piece, and it was right under your nose the entire time. Um, that name has just given me that whole impression straight away. 
Um, Big Hearted Bricks is extremely cute because it appears to just be the same experience but with Lego Duplo, because why not? That just sounds really cool. Um, the Night Builder is exactly the same as the three that I've just described, except you've also got little cricket noises and a little bit of background noise in the back, and it's really, really nice, and that's really, really wholesome. I love that. So that's two hours worth of um, LEGO ASMR content. There are also some irritating tracks. Wild as the Wind. Uh, I can't remember why this got on my nerves. I think it was... It was just unrelaxing. It didn't feel very... Um, chill, which I would have thought ASMR should do. Um, it's too icy and it's too cold. It just doesn't feel right. Um, it all clicks is shockingly irritating because the way they've mixed it um, is that it is literally just sound of Lego bricks clicking together, but without any of the other sounds, it feels really, really, I don't know. It's like bones cracking. It feels horrible. I really ugh, didn't like it. Um, the waterfall is loud and unsettling and anxiety inducing because it feels like someone has just accidentally tipped over the box of lego and it's falling off the table and it never ever ends for a half an hour needless to say i skipped through part of that track um this has been a bit of an adventure because firstly i never i picture myself listening to an asmr album in the first place secondly i've realized there are things in asmr that i really don't like and things that i really do uh, so I found out a bit about myself listening to this. Um, but actually, it's really, really nice. I'm going to come back to this. It's something that uh, you can put on when you are just working away. Quietly, just got to get something done. If you just want something that provides a really, really cool and human ambience to the room, uh, which just a drone or like a Brian Eno track or a Steve Reich track won't do, this will do really weird but i like it it's really really cool um it's also meant that underneath that album there was uh in spotify's way you've got the album then underneath you've got various recommendations for people also listen to um that's meant that i've discovered the playlist called whale sounds that is whale sounds um so that's on my save list um i don't know if that's going to stay there or not but it's something that i discovered and something that i wouldn't have bumped into otherwise uh, it's weird, but I like it. Lego White Noise by Lego. Yeah, I was shown this album earlier in the year by a friend, and it didn't really click for me. As long-time <laughs> listeners of the show will know, uh... I'm I'm quite a big fan of ambient music in general. I listen to some quite weird ambient music, and I'm pretty happy to just go in for whatever. But for, I don't know, I don't know exactly what it is, like, if it's the timbre of the noises or just the fact that there there's no real structure or like i said i did find it weird that um there were tracks on this that i adored and really liked and there were some which just felt so off and i just thought nope skip and i was skipping within you know 30 seconds as opposed to the 30 minutes which all of the tracks are i found that quite um I found it really surprising. I didn't know why I preferred some over others, but I definitely found that there were ones um, which just made me relax, made my shoulders drop. There were ones which also made my shoulders tense right back up, and we were back to, back to square one, effectively. I think actually going off of that, a big part of the issue I have, not the issue, 
But the reason I don't enjoy the record is because I don't really have those reactions to sounds. Like, the whole ASMR thing has never really done anything for me. It's just noise. So I don't get those... I'm not like, oh, that's a satisfying noise. So it... Fundamentally, like, it's a cool concept, but there's there's nothing kind of else going on or things being uh, revealed. Like, um, what was the album I was talking about a few months ago? Folkaraba, I think that was it. Where it's like the sine waves and it, it kind of like melts your brain a little bit as it goes on. This one's a bit more static in that the same thing kind of happens regularly. I will say that probably part of my um, love of this album is the fact that I have that connection with Lego, and I suspect that a lot of people are going to feel the same way. It's not so much about the ASMR aspect of it, but it's just, I recognise these sounds, this really, really reminds me about life and the universe and everything. Yeah, just hearing you talk about it really makes you want to go and play Lego, to be honest. That's the thing. Like, I really That's exactly the whole point. Yes. Uh, I'd like to talk about an EP this week. It's from the group Brief Work. It's called Brief Work One. It's their debut release. Uh, it's a Brief Work's a collaboration between producer the the Magriban and a singer who uh, is aiming to remain anonymous. Uh, so we don't know anything about her. They're based in London. Uh, it's a pop EP, uh, but they're a p- pretty strong disco and funk elements and some ele- elements of electronic and dance music in there as well. I'd say a, a good way to kind of get get to understanding the sound of the EP is it's like, this is to pop what dance punk is to punk or to rock music. So it has a lot of those types of beats to it, like you'd hear in a LCD sound system track, or even in like a Talking Heads track, like th- those kinds of percussion parts, if that makes sense. Uh, the first two tracks on the EP were the two singles released beforehand that got me excited for the release. They kind of sound like the kind of opening music that lots of uh, like more tasteful, popular DJs would use. Like if you if you've watched any like Jamie XX or like Fortet. DJ mixes. A lot of the time at the beginning they'll play like old soul music or like weird random bits and pieces that's less dancey than the other stuff. And they sound like they'd actually fit in quite well in there. Um, And then the two new tracks, so the first of which is the general synopsis, it, it kind of sounds more like Pet Shop Boysy, but the, the tone is more Depeche Mode, I guess. So it's this synth pop with very synthy synths but then it, it's kind of a darker pop track um i wrote down earlier i imagine this is what london grammar sounds like to their fans because they're a band that's never clicked Ouch. for me but like it kind of like this it, if london grammar was something i liked i guess it would be this so london grammar but good i didn't say that <laughs> right I very specifically didn't say that. <laughs> the last track's called Monster. Uh, it's a bit of a slow one. A, a bit of an interesting one, given that two of the other tracks had been released previously, and then 
it's kind of just the general synopsis in this one. Um, maybe it'll be one that after I've listened to all of the other tracks a lot, I'll get into, but at the moment it's not really clicking for me. It's a bit too slow to get to anything interesting. Um, but yeah, that's uh, Brief Work 1 by Brief Work. I'd recommend it. It's a good EP. Interesting that the singer wants to remain anonymous. Was there any reason for this that we know of? I don't know. I think it's just getting more popular, right? Um, like Salt, no one knows who they are. Um, kind of makes sense in the age of Bandcamp, you can just put something out and not have your personal life ruined by weird fans. Especially if you're a woman on the internet, right? I suppose so. I suppose. I was just thinking immediately when you thought of that, um, Lewis Hamilton uh, is said to have put his name to a couple of tracks. Uh, I can't remember what his pseudonym is. Oh God, I'm going to have to look it so up. So you're saying this is Lewis Hamilton on this track? I'm I thought saying you were going to say Lewis Hamilton's decided I... to remain anonymous. Yeah. So I was going to say the cat's <laughs> out of the bag. Lewis. Lewis, Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton has come public to say he has worked on music for years and years and years, but he's never released any of it. But he has released one track, and I can't find it on his massive Wikipedia article. So it's not for years and years? Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Just to clarify. Oh, I need to go back and listen to some years and years. It's been a while. XNDA. XNDA. He did a track for Christina Aguilera's 2018 song Pipe under the pseudonym XNDA. And I think that was where he did vocals. But yeah, apparently he might do a bit more once he retires from F1 in the year 2045, probably. I'll have to check out what um, your suggestion, though, because if you mention LCD sound system and talking heads, I'm just like, yes, please hand it to me. It's not as funky, I guess. But I like Pet Shop Boys too. Yeah, I th I think you'll like it. I I feel like this is the the hipster EP of the year. Like people who really oh, no. desperately want people to think they know more about music than everyone else are going to be all over this one. <laughs> I suspect. And you like it, so. I like it, but I'm not pretentious. <laughs> You say from your podcast. <laughs> the music the music podcast presenter says he's not pretentious. So James, what have you been listening to? I've been listening to um Eat a Peach by the Allman Brothers Band. If you don't know the Allman Brothers Band, you'll probably know them from uh the song Jessica, which yes is that Top Gear song. So the Allman Brothers are were originally originally two brothers, um, and some other band members, but unfortunately one of them died in a motorcycle accident, um, and that <laughs> that's what inspired this album. So that they got a point there. Um, that got really sad. Really sad. I know. I'm sorry. And what's even more sad is a year later, one of the other band members died in a motorcycle accident. Um, you just need to buy cars or <laughs> take the bus, guys. Yeah, buy cars. Um, so yeah, this this album is Eat a Peach. Um, yeah, this came out just after one of the band members died. Um, but I think it's a really great album. If you don't, yeah, if you don't know them, they're kind of a country, country rock. Well, mainly rock band, really. But there's a lot of country um, influence there. Um, 
I think I'm just going to go through the whole track list because I'm going to ignore the live songs, that are, live tracks that are on the album. Um, so there's first track is Ain't Wasting Time No More. Um, this is really just like a 70s rock hit. So if you want that, then you can yeah, just listen to the first track. Um, then the second track is an instrumental track. And this is where you're getting those um, same sounds that you hear from a song like Jessica with harmony, um, guitars harmonizing against each other and just like this big kind of 70s rock sound again, but more guitar. I will say um, the first part of the track is like a big like crescendo into the main song, but it lasts like two minutes and it's like, it's not good. I wouldn't, I would rather that not be there, but it is what it is. Um, then we move on to Melissa, which is like a really kind of sweet, almost love song. It's, it's about wanting Melissa to be beside them, basically. Um, so yeah, it's a love song, but yeah, it's, it's, it tones it down a lot. There's a lot of acoustic stuff in there, um, but also the guitars come in a little later as well, which nice. Um, I'm going to jump on to jump forward to Stand Back. Stand Back is quite a weird song. Um, it's quite aggressive. And if you hear like Stand Back, it's like telling someone to stand back. And that's exactly what it is. Um, it's not one of my favorites in this album, but there's some really, really quite nice guitar bits. And I'll get onto that. Um, Blue Sky is another really nice song. Um, yeah, it starts out acoustic, but then, yeah, it crescendos really nicely into some guitars and Little Martha is another um, instrumental track, which kind of surprised me with um, with Allman Brothers, actually. A lot of their music is actually instrumental, um, even though they have this very country rock sound. Um, but yeah, when they are singing, it's, it's really good vocals and... The lyrics are quite insightful, I would say. Um, and yeah, I, I think what's really stand, stood out to me about um, the Allman Brothers band is the guitar. Um, and it feels like it really complements the vocals really well. Um, and they use techniques, which are, I mean, I, don't, I didn't expect them to use. Like there was like volume swells at a random place, which sounded good. Um, and then, yeah, there's the, the um, guitars like harmonizing against each other. I mean, that's like a big part of their sound, but it's, yeah, it sounds really good. And at some point it sounded like, um, Yellow Submarine by the Beatles. Um, but yeah, I guess that's just the kind of a 70s sound, but yeah, I, I do recommend this album. I, I wouldn't listen to it over and over again. Um, but it's a really enjoyable album. Um. Yeah, so that's Eat a Peach by the Allman Brothers Band. Eat a Peach. I mean, it is, it is one of the al those albums which is part of rock history. That sounds like a really boring thing to say, but it is, also, it is also true. It's just, I don't know. Allman Brothers feel like one of those bands where, I don't know, it feels like they will be on the syllabus of GCSE rock history, if that was ever a thing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine so. Which, you know, I'm sure is lovely, but because I should really hear it in order to understand the history of rock music, it feels like a bit of a chore. 
that sounds, that sounds really bad. I don't want to make it sound that way. I think that's just being an English lit student who had to read a lot of classic novels and go, well, yes, they're good, but are they this good? Yeah, uh, to be honest, it was, I didn't expect this, kind of the sound that they brought. It sounded more modern than I expected, um, but that might not just me being not versed in this music, but... Um, yeah, it's, it did sound modern. The guitar, the, the tonality of the guitars sounded modern, um, unlike other seventeen music I've heard. Um, so yeah, I guess that that's kind of what inspired, um, yeah, the, the decades to go on and up until now, and that's why it sounds like that. Okay, Tom, take us to the news. Okay, news this week. Uh, Band of Horses have teased a new album uh, with a release on Twitter. Uh, they've tweeted out, when was this? On the 7th of October. So today, literally a couple of hours before we've come on air, uh, they've, they've tweeted something to snack on with a 20-minute video of um, some old crusty van polluting the world and then vanishing, like if uh, Back to the Future used noxious fumes rather than like plutonium to travel in time. Um, I must admit, I don't know if I know Band of Horses. I don't know who's put this in the news. Will, was it yourself or was it somebody else? Yeah, it was me. So they they teased the album yesterday, I believe, as of recording. So that was Wednesday the 6th. Uh, and then today they've posted that short 20-second clip, which is uh, part of the their the lead single from the album called Crutch. We don't have a release date yet, but I'm very excited. I love Band of Horses. Uh, yeah, they were one of the first bands I saw live in the Southwest. And I think they're great. And the new single sounds interesting. It's got some kind of like uh, teenage fan club and real estate vibes to it from the little <laughs> tiny snippet I've heard. So I'm interested to see where they go with the album. Excellent. Something to look forward to. Uh, the other main story we've got this week is that Pitchfork has revised some of its uh, historical scores on its website, and it's gone back and visited uh, a load of albums that, well, I presume have been thought were controversially scored. Uh, there are 19 which they list on their website, which they've gone back and listened to. Uh, I saw on a post on Instagram about Liz Fair's um self-titled album back in 2003 that's gone from a 0.0 uh to a 6.0 i listened to it and it basically sounds like trash um but maybe that's just i i'm i'm not quite sure what pitchfork is up to there but i also think lots of people have reacted and said well this is just pitchfork being pedantic and being well a music magazine effectively uh, which I would never have very high expectations for. I'm just scrolling through their list of uh, albums they've changed at the moment. There are two, not one, but two entries from Daft Punk here. Discovery was a 6.4 before. It has now been elevated uh, higher. I'll come back to that in a moment. Daft Punk, Random Access Memories 2013 was an 8.8. .8. It's now a 6.8. Uh, but Discovery, like I said, has been elevated from 6.4 to 10. Um, so classic Daft Punk is in, which personally I would agree with. Um, but there are various other artists and there's Interpol are on here as well. They've been downgraded. Uh, Turn on a Bright Light has gone from 9.5 to 7.0. Uh, 
Uh, Lana Del Rey's Born to Die 2012, which I seem to remember was quite a good album. That's gone from 5.5 to 7.8. So various changes there across various genres. If we can stop off on Interpol, I think, I, I mean, in the general terms, this is a fun article to have up. Lots of music pundits have, have thrown out their piece about it. Ultimately, the the scores like who cares? Like, what does the score even mean? Like, the old reviews still there. You can still see the critiques they had. But the Interpol one is quite interesting because basically, the the short write up that they've done with it is basically saying like, "Oh, we used to think people back then thought the Interpol was cool, but." They're not cool. It's like, I think it's still a solid album. You know, I don't think it's my favourite post-punk album, but I don't know, to just kind of be like, well, the lyrics are, like, the lyrics are naff now because we're all grown up and we're not in that time period anymore. It's like, well... It's also kind of making the assumption that post-punk was cool, and I thought the whole point of post-punk was that it wasn't meant to be very cool or mainstream in the first place, but... That just describes most of indie, doesn't it? It does feel like they're kind of basing these reviews on like a lot of things that aren't the music, and I'm not really sure I agree with a lot of it. Even albums I haven't listened to, like their their justifications seem weird. Like for Daft Punk as well, for Discovery, that's again gone to a ten from a six. Like I, I don't know. I feel like if you knew, if it was going to be a ten, you would have known it was a ten when it came out. I don't feel like you can just change it to a ten now. Maybe if you change it from like a six to an eight or something. But not to like a full marks. And the reason why they give um, is saying, it says, if scores are meant to indicate a work's longevity or impact, I'm not even going to finish sentence because, like, well, the, I don't think they are. I'd, I'd, you know, like, basing it on, yeah, a, on um, they're using like a, a criteria there that isn't like relevant. If you're talking about most influential albums of all time, then cool, put it on the list. But at the time, I don't think you should be worrying about its influence. You should be like, talking about how good it is at the time well, that's in 2001. That, yeah, I'd agree with that. For a review, surely it's what you think of the album in the first place. But I suppose you could argue, you know, what's your favourite film? It's Star Wars. Are you saying that because it is a very, very good film, which it is, or are you saying that because it has had such an outstanding cultural impact since and you've just been exposed to it more and you've gone, actually, it's not so bad, is it? You could probably make an argument for either. Yeah, it's just looking at the list, like... It's clearly been chosen for very specific reasons. I mean, there are a few outliers, like Chairlift, I feel like, is a, is a band that people aren't really talking about at the moment. But the fact that they've got Daft Punk, who are obviously kind of in the public consciousness at the moment quite a lot, they've downgraded Grimes' score after she's been kind of negatively viewed, I think, by a lot of the public because yeah. of her relationship. Uh, and she just had that breakup as well, so... Bands like Interpol and Foxygen, who were kind of indie darlings back when they were around, like now, like hating on them's, I guess, kind of seen as cool. And then they've kind of bumped up a stroke score because the, the strokes are kind of back in people's good books. It's like, I don't know. Yeah. Ultimately, if they, if they wanted to do this right, and I understand that really they wrote this article because... Oh, clearly it's done well and lots of people are looking at it and talking about it but they they would have got different writers to write new reviews for these albums and go back and say well we've still got our original review up but here's a fresher take on it that we think editorially is 
more interesting or you know more in line with the stance of pitchfork now which is obviously very different from back in like the early 2000s where they gave zero scores to basically any emo album that came out now you've got writers like ian cohen who are kind of like fighting for it a bit but yeah th- this article is just a bit empty mm. and make a choice on like whether or not you're taking yourself seriously as a website because you can't kind of do both like i feel like putting something from a 0.0 to a 6 or whatever probably just says that the original zero was maybe like done just for hyperbole sort of thing um i don't know i feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna be like extreme and just do whatever you want and not really care about what people think then great but then don't try and act like it's a serious review later does that make sense i think the big problem is that pitchfork went from being you know a small tight-knit group of people who were kind of i guess like us but in the noughties when everyone was super factional like really like strong-minded about their views and what they thought and they didn't really care and then over time as it's grown now they have an editorial team who's not the same team as they used to have and they have lots of different writers including uh freelancers who come on and write articles for them so Basically, the people deciding on this are likely not the people who wrote the reviews in the first place. Or at least it's a different makeup of the team. It does kind of feel like you can feel that coming through and it is a little bit odd. It's also interesting that I don't understand any of the music publications. I don't really read them that much and they don't hold that much sway over my own opinion. And yet, this is still an article and it's still something that piques my interest and has piqued the interest of a lot of folks that I've never known to be have any interest in NME or Pitchfork or, you know, any of the other big music publications. And suddenly, well now this just isn't on. I find it quite interesting that this is the point where we get interested and even then we're just going, it's all rubbish really, isn't it? You know? <laughs> I love that that's the take and I love that that's the stance that everyone's uh taking recently. <laughs> And it's taken to this article. Well, I'll kind of defend Pitchfork. Like, I think a lot of their reviews are pretty good. I think a lot of their news coverage and their feature articles are also pretty good. That, like, it's infrequent that they have a feature where I'm like, that's really off base and like, clearly just like fighting for clicks, like a lot of websites do. And I think a lot of the criticism they get is ultimately because people. willfully don't understand what the website is and that there are lots of writers and that they'll say ah this album got this score but this album got this score or whatever and it's just nonsense because these are different writers writing the reviews you can go and read the reviews and see what they said about the album which is more meaningful it's just you know people want to hate on like the big publications but i think For a big music publication, I think Pitchfork actually does a really good job in general. Also, I think it's a bit more fundamental for me personally. It's just like reviews are like noses. Everyone's got one. You know, everyone's got that opinion. So why do I care about this one person's opinion? Maybe it's just quite a fundamental thing. Yeah, it's kind of true. Like, this is literally just someone else's opinion. Yeah, it's just somebody else talking about it. And it's just like, okay, I've heard it. I, I, I agree or disagree. 
that's about it really i don't find much more in it than that well yeah that's the same thing like not the same thing that's another thing right people take the reviews like they're like they're gospel i guess yeah. or, or but act like they are gospel to get mad about it <laughs> if pitchfork gives an album you like a bad review just Go and enjoy the album. Yeah, just ignore them. If I hate an album you like, go and enjoy the album. Like, who cares? <laughs> Ugh. There, there is also, we are talking about this as literally music podcasters who are a, a particularly elite level of pretentious just for the fact that we're on a music <laughs> podcast. I feel the same sort of people will be writing for Pitchfork as well. It's, I'm just saying. All right, let's do some reviews of, um, let's do some revisits in the future in 10 years time or whatever. We're still going. The thing is, I don't see us as a review outfit. I mean, we do reviews, but ultimately it's all to push people towards music rather than yeah. just tell people, like, to tear it down. oh, this album's a five. It's mediocre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that positive spin on things. Let's go with that. Right, should we move on to our main topic of the week? Let's do it. Not quite sure where this is going to go, but I was interested in this. I think we mentioned it a few times over the past few weeks. Uh, merch. Um, Going to a gig. Gigs are back. I've been to a couple and I've got one more next week. Uh, and it kind of dawned on me, one thing that has always been a little bit lacklustre for a lot of gigs that I've been to has been the merch table. What do you actually sell to people who have gone to the gig? Um, so I challenged the podcast crew to come up with some ideas. If you were in charge of the merch table, what would you do? Are there some really cool items that you've seen before? Is there something that you've never seen before and would be really, really interested in seeing? Um, we're not talking like, well, Star Wars guitars here, which I'm sure I've mentioned before. That's the second mention of Star Wars today. That's another slate on bingo. Um, but I'm not talking about anything like that where like, it, you know, it's collectible. I'm talking about merch that you could buy at the show. Um, so I'm interested. Thoughts, feelings, anyone want to kick off? I think ultimately the bread and butter of a merch table are the t-shirts. Yeah. They're the Good things that e every merch table has to have. And specifically, because I have a lot of band t-shirts, as the other hosts of the show know, the, the keys to good t-shirts are, one, don't base it solely around one single album, don't have the design be too closely linked to a particular set of songs. Don't make it just uh, the album cover. Or at least have yep. something else that isn't just the album cover. Those ones are terrible, yeah. Seen enough it, never mind t-shirts to get good, bored yeah. of that. Don't have the tour dates on the back. I'm not a fan of those t-shirts. I don't oh, mind no, that, I disagree. Actually. I like that. Well, maybe have one, but don't put the cool design on that one so that <laughs> I can buy it. And yeah, just get, just get some random artist to come and do a design for you, because I think it's generally more interesting if there's just kind of odd things up there, like on the shirts, and to have something a bit different. Hmm. Yeah. On the album cover bit, I do have a very old uh, t-shirt from a band that I used to listen to years ago. Um, I think it was one of the first gigs I went to, actually. Anyway, um, I got a t-shirt afterwards, which did coincidentally have tour dates on the back, and it did have the album cover on the front. Um, so that's already two massive problems, but they only did like a slight cutout of the design, and the album cover was like, it was uh, grey on a black background. I bought the grey t-shirt and they I cut out and, and, and they had cut out the grey part of the album cover. So it was like in the foreground, you had this grey foreground on a grey background. 
So what's happened over time is that those colors are gradually merged into one, and it's like this little face, this like statue face, um, which is the actual image that was on the album cover. Um, so now, whenever I do occasionally wear it out anywhere, people go and, and people go and assume, oh, Tom's wearing a grey t-shirt today. And then uh, more than once, people, people have suddenly looked down at my shirt and they've taken a second glance and they've gone, is there a face on your shirt? And I went, yeah. I feel like I've <laughs> done that just, at some point to you, actually. You might have. I might have worn it. I don't know. It's ringing but a bell. Then I turn around and it's got tall on the back and they go, oh, I didn't know that was a band t-shirt. I kind of like that, though. It's very surreptitious. I like band t-shirts, which I can very easily just wear anywhere. I feel like certain t-shirts as well, and I feel this with, like, um, uh, like branded stuff, like science fiction merch and t-shirts as well. Like, sometimes I feel I can't wear this today. I like it when shirts are just that plain. I can just go and wear them anywhere and maybe give people a shock with a face that seems to merge out of my <laughs> t-shirts. There is also a hierarchy of, uh, like, the t-shirt brands that they print the shirts onto. Fruit of the so... Loom. Yeah. Fruit of the Looms <laughs> at the bottom of the barrel, they're awful. You don't yeah. see many of them around, thankfully. Then you've got Gildan on top of it, yeah. and there are a few different types of Gildan, so there are, I think the soft spun ones are, are decent. But then you got like the heavy cotton and stuff that's not so good. And then you got like Bella and Canvas, which is a bit better. And then there's there's one that actually going back to Band of Horses, their merch is like these Made in America T-shirts that are made of like recycled stuff, and they're really really nice. So if any yes. other bands want to print them on that, please why do, do I feel like we've got like an audience of like four or five people who also collect massive amounts of merch and are just nodding and going, "Yep, I agree here. I know this struggle." They know the pain of buying like a small Gildan t-shirt and then you put it in the wash once and suddenly it's two sizes smaller than when you bought it. <laughs> there is also the thing recently about just random words seemingly appearing on people's merch. And I seem to re I seem to recall that Tom Mitch has just done a load of new merchandise with various phrases which are sort of um transcendentally linked to his music like I don't know. There was just really weird, obscure stuff. Like, I can't even remember what it was. Like, Hot Vibes or something. Uh, with, like, some kind of silhouette on it, which was vaguely related to Geography's first album. But I, I seem to remember that was a thing. I may have made it up. But it was just so weird and unremarkable. I just thought, what's the point? It feels kind of like Skater Gear, where the whole point is just to look a bit out of place and weird, because you can. I don't really get that side of it. I guess the point is that it doesn't look like a band t-shirt. It just looks like a normal shirt, but the people who know, know. But it's still a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah, which I'm for, but it still looks a bit odd. I'm sure there's a better way of doing that. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads on to my point. I think, I think cover art is okay to have on the t-shirt, but it has to be something that's like, it has to be redrawn and like something completely different, like inspired by the cover art, you know. So not the cover art. <laughs> I mean, you can have elements of the cover art, so you you can still recognize it as cover art, but it, like, you get an artist to do it, you get an artist impression of it, rather than just so repeating you could do the same a redesign thing. or like the same colors or the same font or something like that. Yeah, something like that, or it's like um, it, like, taken apart and like put a different 
parts of the shirt. I don't know. I'm not an artist, but yeah, it's, it's have it inspired by the cover art because it might be a album tour and you, you want that connection with the shirt. But... Yeah, I've realised I actually do have a, an album, um, a t-shirt with the album cover on it and tour dates on the back. Um, but it's Mezzanine by Massive Attack and I, I do think it actually works in that case. I think it looks suitable for a t-shirt. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't scream the fact that it's to do with a band. Um, although it's a very famous album cover. But if it wasn't, you wouldn't necessarily know. And on the back, what I like about it is that it's, it was for their 21st anniversary tour and the tour dates are actually the ones from the original tour rather than the current ones. They're all like 90s dates, which I think is quite a nice touch. I don't know. It reminds me of the tour I saw and yet has that like link to history. Yeah, I do like that T-shirt. Thank you. So that's T-shirts. Vinyls. I mean, they're okay. Well, just to be fair, any sort of like physical um, recordings of the album Thoughts, feelings, good, bad. You've already committed a sin in some people's books by calling it vinyls. Yeah. I know a lot of people Vinyl. here are immediately like tear you apart for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll <laughs> take records, it to Twitter. Who Tom. cares? Records. Yeah, let's take make it to it, Twitter. Let's put it I don't to a care. Um, I'm going to start a campaign on the Unmuted Unmastered Twitter account. Whatever. <laughs> get we'll Tom banned for saying vinyls. Fine. I like being able to get a record at um, a show, except it is kind of impractical because you don't want to get damaged. It's the worst place to it. buy a record. You've yeah. got to take it home. Like, you want to get it. Yeah. Like, in some ways, you're like, oh, it's a nice place to get it because you can remember the show, you know, and really have, like, take the music home. And in some ways, what's, a, what's better merch than, like, the music itself? But um, yeah, it's really impractical. Unless you wait till afterwards, in which case you're like queuing after this massive, um, massive throng of people and trying to like fit it into a tote bag or something and like rush to get the last train. It's always just chaos. Yeah. I did get, what did I get? I got Jay Burr vinyl actually when I saw her for the second time at Cavern. No, I think it was first time. First or second time. One of them. Um, which was fine. Actually, what I found was re- it was really, really good just to hang around for a bit and then get her to sign it because she happened to be there and the cavern is a really small venue. Anyone who's been to the cavern knows that the, the, the backstage is literally like two closets, basically. That's about it. So there's nowhere for the artists to hide. So they were going to come out at some point. So it just what I was hanging around and say it was a good show. So that was quite nice to be able to have something that I could take to them and get signed. Um, I don't know how much of a thing that really is because lots of bigger venues, I guess the artists will just go backstage and maybe not appear again, go to freaking late night Yo Sushi or something. I don't think I've ever bought music at a show. I'll reiterate what I've said in the past on shows that I want more artists to do like USB stick music with like nice designs around them for the packaging. Yeah, you could just put that in your pocket. Done. Yeah, I mean, I guess you'd want some kind of box for it, mm. but you know, I'd rather I'd rather that that's a bit more special. But yeah, on the you know, accosting musicians like I act <laughs> in the past, I've actually actively got out of my way to avoid like being near the band or like feeling obliged to talk to the band because like I just don't want to <laughs> do it. <laughs> they play the music, I've paid them for that. I'll give them some money for merch. I don't want to yeah. have a chat. I want to give you money. I don't want to talk to you. There's a band's merch I wanted to bring up. And actually, like on that topic, I did. Um, it, the band is Less Than Jake that I've seen a few times. Um, and I did actually see them before the show, which is weird, rather than after. I was just like, 
stood outside the O2 Academy in Bristol um, with some like cheesy chips in my hand, just like shoveling it in before the show started. And they just walked in front of me on the pavement. Did you turn up early thinking there was going to be a big queue and then realise it's not 1998? <laughs> I just wanted to get my chips. But they just, two of them just like walked in front of me on the pavement, just like looked over at me and I was just like there with chips like half in my mouth like, oh, oh, that, that's quite cool actually. <laughs> That's the that's our band interaction. Great. But um Wait, did you say hi? No, I didn't say hi. I just sort of like looked at them while I was eating chips. Um <laughs> and they just walked on by. Um but they they have some cool merch actually because they're one of those bands that has like a fairly small but very, very dedicated fan base. And therefore they can get away with making so much merch. Um and I wouldn't say any like it's not they say that it's particularly crazy, but it's good if you're a fan. They've got hundreds and hundreds of shirts. Like, literally, there's an Instagram account I've seen that's dedicated to it. I think it's just called LTJ Shirtography. And it's got, like, over 600 posts, which is to say each one is a different T-shirt. So in their, like, 25-whatever-year history, that's at least how many shirts they've put out, which I think is just a cool thing if you're a fan of any band. Like, you want to have that variety and be able to find, you know cool like cool designs a lot of them are based on like pop culture references or something or food references um particularly pez like you know the sweets and the little plastic dispensers yeah that's some of the band members are like some of the band members are really into it like in for collecting and then and therefore ever since their early days that's like made its way into a lot of their branding don't know how they haven't got sued for it really but (laughs) it's they literally like named an album after pez i think they've got loads of shirts like Little figurines, like vinyl figurines and things. Um, custom skateboard decks. I've seen so much. Yeah, like you couldn't really ask for more than that, like a nice variety of things and interesting um, concepts and interesting designs. My teenage Scarface. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, just on that though, we've talked about really small bits of merge. Is there any room at all for big pieces? Like we've talked about. Um, records, uh, and various other bits. Like if there were posters and like you know, um, commissioned bits of art and bits like that. Maybe there's like a sort of like a free size poster. Is there any room for that? Because I've I've seen bands literally bring like framed copies of them to shows and then said either you buy it and we'll post it out to you later, or you can take it with you. With stuff like that, I just worry about being one of those guys who has like big like comics posters on their walls and stuff. Like, I don't want my room to look like Embrace that. Embrace it. <laughs> Embrace it, Will. Mm. Having the postage option is good, though, because I was going to say immediately, like, no, just because I don't want it to get all creased up. But if you get it posted to you, I guess that can be... That's a nice way of getting around that problem. Yeah, which would be an interesting way of doing it, because like, I've seen more and more bands who actually do have like um, digital payments now, which, again, smart idea. They can literally just swipe your card and it's all done, and then either just log into PayPal and make the transfer that way. I was going to say actually, that if you have fabric-based things, whether that's um, a flag or, like I got from Squid, a tea towel, um, <laughs> then that solves the problem of it getting bent up. <laughs> tea towel, that's amazing. That's perfect. Uh, I like tea towel. I've seen tea towels around quite a bit. Well, I say quite a bit, a few times. I don't really like them though because. Either you have to hang them up like a poster, <laughs> or you have to use them. But I'm not going to use it because I don't want to ruin it. That will be I'm a sad day. Do I really want, I want to hang up a tea towel? Yeah, I'm going that w- to. That would be a very sad day if you did have 
No, I have, like, a every day. tea towel and then oh no I spilt the milk there's only one clean tea towel and it's the one that I don't want to get dirty <laughs> that would be when you spill some like turmeric or something oh no stain forever yeah I tried looking it up before the show but I think at one point Bully were selling shoes this was obviously an online thing rather than at a merch table but they did done like custom vans that you could buy. I'd love to do that, nice. but also, like, I'm sure we've talked about my struggles in buying shoes anyway, because I have massive feet, uh, and which are never in. <laughs> no one does my size. Nobody. Well, we talked um, about the Lil Nas X shoes a while back, didn't we? Uh, so. Maybe, yeah. Which, again, I probably stay quiet on that for various reasons. Well, for obvious reasons, rather. I feel like shoes are hard to do without them being tacky, mm. like band shoes. You need to go all in. Yeah, I think shoes Maybe about, to look at these about ones. anything are quite hard, hard to do without being tacky. Yeah. You've got to really get the design right. Yeah. This is a very standard piece of merch idea, but beanies, I think, are just a good all-rounder. Mm-hmm. Generally quite subtle, functional. If you don't like it, you can just like turn that bit around to the side or something. Cheap. That's the thing, though. They're, they are subtle. Yeah. So compared, like the t-shirt, you get to wear it and be like, oh, I'm repping my band, but with the the beanie it's not quite as obvious i guess it does depend which is it fine, does depend whether you're a person who does wear beanies because again the same idea of like caps and any sort of headwear if there's only i've got like a couple of caps but one of them is for the new york new york yankees which i've had since i was a kid the other one is for a racing driver it's for jensen button who drives for mclaren it was one of his mclaren caps there are two purposes why i would wear a cap and it's literally those two reasons one thing that we haven't touched on yet, um, which I was kind of curious about, because I think it's a really cool idea and there's something in it. Coldplay famously do their Xylo bands. Um, they've done them since, well, for about 10 years now, um, which as far as I'm aware, I haven't been to a Coldplay gig since they did this, although I haven't been to a Coldplay gig yet. Man, I need to take that, take that off the bucket list one day. Um, the, they do bands which they will give to pe- members of the audience as they come in and then, well, technically speaking, you should give them back on the way out, but I don't know whether everybody does. Uh, but they will light up... No, and- lots of people steal yeah. them. They will light up... There are, like, buckets as you go out that you throw them into. Oh, okay, so it's like, it's like the 3D glasses and, like, IMAX cinemas, where you, you should do, but yeah. you don't. Um, I did. <laughs> I'm a good boy. So did I. I didn't get one when I saw uh, them. I didn't know they were there until I, until they all turned on. I was like, oh, oh, everybody else has got those things. <laughs> oh man, that's sad. But yeah, I mean, Coldplay's doing that because they're Coldplay. That probably cost them quite a bit actually to produce each one of those. So, would it, I've just had a thought? Wouldn't it be weird if just one day they suddenly lit up in the corner of your room and you went, "What's that?" It's like, I don't know if you lived around the corner from like <laughs> the Emirates or Wembley or something when they come back on the next door. It's like. Like the swords in in the Hobbit that like glow. I was gonna say it's like yeah. sting. <laughs> you glow. It's like Chris Martin is here. <laughs> you pull it out of your sheath. <laughs> Coldplay clothes. I really like the idea though. It feels really cool, and I like the way that some little item that you give to people on the way in could unite them. You know, whether it's just free or something they pick up on the way in, or it's really cheap and it just makes sense to buy one. I don't know whether there is anything like that. I thought maybe badges, but they are very, very indie. Um, I don't know whether there's something where like there's 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 an idea in that, and somebody hasn't tapped into that yet. Xylo bands are very much like a one, um, 
they're very very specific to Coldplay I haven't seen anyone else do it and no one else seems to really have any impetus to do it because oh yeah Coldplay's done it um, but I don't know whether there's any other ideas that and are it's out probably there. really expensive yeah. yeah I don't think I've seen anyone else do anything that they give to the crowd and then demand it back <laughs> at the end or expect it me back. and my friends did kind of have the idea if you had like a sticker design which uh, the pattern and the design is based on the band like you know it's not artwork and it's not the logo and it's not anything like that but it's something that you can just buy like 10 at the beginning of a show and stick them everywhere but you also choose like one of I don't know a stupid amount of colours 20 or 24 and you just pick up a few that could be a really cool idea but maybe they could do it like you know when sometimes bands say right everybody on the left side of the stage we're going to sing the first bit and then everybody on the right side of the stage we're going to sing the second bit maybe they give out like two kinds of badges and they're like <gasps> yes. everyone with this badge you've got to sing this section that's perfect I don't really know what they I don't know why that's any better but I'm just thinking trying to think of something creative that's genuinely quite cool like, hang on I'm genuinely going to write that down. That's quite cool, actually. There's always just like that one drunk guy who's like plastered them all over his face and he's just screaming along to every yeah. section. I don't really like stickers, I'll be honest. <laughs> like the kind of like single okay. use sort of thing. That's true. Mm. I mean, Let's be responsible. <laughs> badges. I could do with badges, but mm. no, not stickers. So yeah, now, now that we're all grown-ups and we, we have fancy jobs... When are they going to start doing band dress shirts and like blouses? Ah, so that we can wear our band merch to work. Oh, you actually can get quite a lot of lanyards. You you could actually use that legitimately. Have your staff card hanging from a. Like no, I think I might a have a. Point. I think when I was a kid, I might have had a Green Day lanyard. But I was a child, so there's no point in having a lanyard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> actually, in my current job, I have to wear a lanyard that says staff on it, so I couldn't use it even if mm. I wanted to. There's a point though. Could you do like grown up merch? So you could like, I don't know, like cufflinks or something. Oh my God, I would buy a band's cufflinks. Can you imagine if Muse did cufflinks? Adult merch. I would buy so many of them. Do you have them. any shirts that you could put cufflinks into? So all of mine are like the. I've type got of uh, one or two. Cuffs, not I have a couple, yeah. I feel like they should do like, you know how lots of science teachers have those really tacky science ties? I feel like Muse could do a really oh. good like range of. Those kinds ties. of ties, but with like their album artwork ties. on it. Yeah, they totally could actually. Deliberately tacky or? They just like doing good. weird science stuff, mm. don't they? I mean, we are talking about the band that did literally play their first ever Glastonbury in a lab coat. Just one. <laughs> Stacked on top of each other. I'd love to see that though, Jess, where, where like they poke their heads out of the, of the <laughs> bit between the buttons like periodically. <laughs> Just to harmonise. Oh, wait, what if it? What if it was? What if it was a, a, a? I can't remember what they are now. What if it was a musical tie and just like it played new songs at random intervals? Don't again. Don't give them ideas. I can just see this happening. Oh please! <laughs> I want this so bad. It's like the Christmas tie with like tinsel on it and like lights flashing up. Right. Let's move on to upcoming releases. Uh, my pick of the week this week is an EP from Anne's. Uh. UK electronic music producer her new EP All Hours comes out this week uh, I've been enjoying her stuff the last couple of years uh, this new EP goes in maybe more of a kind of upbeat synth poppy kind of direction uh, it's got a track featuring George Riley who you might remember from my autumn playlist last week uh, so she's doing vocals on one of those Next up, Remy Wolf's got an album coming out called Juno. Jess, I assumed you'd be interested in this. 
Yes, uh, thanks for the heads up. From the internet uh, conversation about this that I've seen, uh, it sounds like she's been releasing lots of singles from it, um, and people would have maybe rather had a bit more surprise going in, but, you know, such is the way that music business is now. Next up, Coldplay's new album, Music of the Spheres, comes out this week. I'm honestly not that excited. I didn't really like their last one, um, despite other people being hot on it. And this one, none of the singles have hooked me, so... I've got no expectations, yeah, we'll but see. then I haven't had any expectations since um, Milo Xyloto, and it's worked out okay-ish. Um, so maybe it'll be good. Maybe it'll just be a a, a Coldplay album. Wow, that's a bit of a burn. <laughs> Coldplay have lots of good albums. They do. And the album cover looks great. They're all twenty years old now. I didn't like Higher Power though. And if if you rhyme, if you do like a rhyming set with power and an hour, I'm just gonna turn off the rest of the song. I'm so sick of that. <laughs> Bugbear of mine. <laughs> Especially if you say second and an hour. Uh. Uh, next up, uh, Disclosure are releasing a DJ Kicks mix. Uh, DJ Kicks is a long-running mix series, um, so Disclosure are contributing to that. And then we get into the kind of weird releases that I thought were just more interesting oh, than anything, this? so I'd mention. Kelly Clarkson's releasing an album called When Christmas Comes Around, and I checked, and yep, it's all Christmas songs. Oh, my lord. And it's October. Um, oh, it's coming. <laughs> Why? Why not wait until the beginning of December? I, I mean, from her, some of her past Christmas songs, I imagine these are going to be very popular on Spotify. From a lot of those like pop Christmas playlists and stuff like that, but just not now. Is it as good as Michael Bublé? That's the question. Of course not. Exactly. I don't really like Michael Bublé that much. Oh, sorry. Album of the year every December. <laughs> so it's album of the year every, every year. year. <laughs> right. And then finally, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark have a reissue, I guess I can call it, coming out. It's called Architecture and Morality, The Singles. Um, Architecture and Morality, obviously one of their famous albums. It's a great record. Uh, so this is for the 40th anniversary of that album. Uh, but it's only got the singles from the album and then a series of like alternate versions, remixes and like demo versions of those songs. So it weirdly just cuts out a lot of the album to just have kind of the songs that people remember, like Joan of Arc um, and Souvenir. So yeah, it's <laughs> quite strange. I don't think I've ever seen anyone do a reissue like so that. So they picked it before. out because because they're singles, not because oh these are our most popular songs, which would make more sense, right? Yeah, so it's just the singles from this album, not across their whole career, just like the three singles that came off of this one record. <laughs> That's so odd. It's kind of rogue. <laughs> I guess if you're like a real diehard fan, then it's nice to have some collector's stuff. Why the singles though? Unusual. Yeah. I guess a lot of OMD's fans are, you know, in their 50s or 60s and <laughs> have lots of disposable income to just throw at whatever. So, 
And yeah, that's it. That's upcoming releases, and that's the end of the show. Thank you for listening. This has been Unmuted Unmastered. We will be back next Monday, as we release every Monday. You can get in touch with us if you want to complain about Tom's use of vinyls. Uh, on Twitter, at Unmuted Weekly. You can follow us on Instagram. Uh, our handle is Unmuted Unmastered. Or you can send us an email at unmutedunmastered at gmail.com. been thinking about how to market things that you can actually stick on your wall because it would assume that people own their own houses which is quite the assumption in the modern world sell it with command strips yes yeah but then you've also yeah yeah custom ikea calax units calax now there genuinely is actually quite a cool idea could you do like band furniture i don't know what you do but <laughs> but the bookcase any hipster bank could do a coffee table. Why doesn't somebody do a coffee table? I'm just saying. Even like, <laughs> which one is it? Um, it's not Mum. It's the really basic four-legged coffee table from IKEA. Why doesn't somebody Black. just dress it? Yeah, maybe, maybe. But why doesn't someone dress it up in just like their and in the their one merch colours or in like you know in their artwork in anything? I would buy that straight away if I like the band and the and album. And we're like. Somehow had got to the show in in a van, and also had no taste. Yeah, point taken. Maybe it won't work. Yeah. <laughs> That's the big thing. The shipping would just be ridiculous. Mm. Me on the last bus <laughs> for two hours <laughs> with my new coffee table, my new custom lac. <laughs>